previously on the Daydream cast, aboard the Satellite of Dreams. Bro, something is wrong with the reactor! Have you tried unplugging it and plugging it back in? Pavlos must have sabotaged it after the Quackshot episode! This entire Satellite of Dreams is gonna explode! Quick, Murph, we haven't a moment to lose. To the escape pods! We've been through a lot. That that season finale of the Daydreamcast was brutal. I know. I you're really rocking the eye patch now. I I am punished, bro. The entire satellite of dreams has blown up and is now debris among the stars. But luckily, we found an air pocket <laughs> where it has like a small cabin. You know. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and the recording equipment. Yes. Yes, uh, how fortuitous. And now we're drifting into deep space. <laughs> yeah! We, we were orbiting the dreams, now we are deep inside. The, we are probing the dreamscape, if you will. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where we're going where no daydream cast has gone before. <laughs> uh, and by that, we're going into what you're playing. Um, I played a game, and I recently played it on stream... Um, I will promote the stream more, and I will start doing the stream more, but I played Astalon. Tears of the Earth is, I think, the subtitle. Okay, okay, tell me about this, because my mind hears that name, and just Pavlovian goes, Astalon, Tears of the Kingdom. Tears of the King. It is not that. It is a very old-school coded, almost like NES-coded, Metroidvania. Um, So, like, basically... You, it looks like, you know, 80s-style uh, graphics, 8-bit, um, a little bit more detailed, but still in that vein. And you swap between three party members, a mage with a projectile, um, a archer with a different projectile, and a warrior who is melee only. Um, and then you can possibly, wink-wink, qu- get other party members down the line. But you're going through an entire... A giant tower castle thing of monsters and what have you going through boss battles um, earning new abilities and earning new party members and uh, the game is super fun I beat the game and I want to go back to it later in my you know in my time so this is mainly it looks like taking off of Castlevania 3 with the party swapping but honestly looking at these screenshots and graphics I'm being reminded of Shovel Knight there's to me, there's a lot of different influences you could point to. Like, you could point to the influences of, like, like the Zelda 2 or other games like that. Or you could do, like, the Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest. There's cast- there are Castlevania references in this. There's Final Fantasy references in this. Um, and the- I- to me, it's just really, really fun how it 
it's a blend of everything and i think that's what shovel knight is too shovel knight also reinterpreted a lot of different elements from the past to create something new and uh, i think it works here okay okay so as far as pixel video game throwback nes style throwback is this one of those delivers the experience as you remember it types or is it like we're just taking the aesthetic more or less and doing some like modern updating with the gameplay um i think the game uh let me think of the way to articulate this i would say it leans closer to authenticity however there is a lot of quality of life included that makes the game fun especially as you unlock things i would say perhaps i would venture to say that a lot of the upgrades are quality of life upgrades for instance, I'll go ahead and spoil one. It's a very light spoiler one, which is um, you can't swap out characters initially. You have to go to a to a fire, which is basically like a mini checkpoint, and swap your character. There is an upgrade that allows you to swap characters on the fly later on. Um, and because of that, the game, the Metroidvania, oh, you can't go here unless you're X character. It becomes much more fleshed out and realized with those quality of life things. So they're sort of interwoven together. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I am a sucker for games with multiple playable characters that you swap between and each one can do different things. Mm -hmm. I do like the art of this. It's reminded me... Has um, Yacht Club's new game come out yet? Mina the Hollower? I've been waiting on that. No, however, and I don't think I ever talked about it. I played Mina the Hollower at PAX. Um, mm. I don't think I talked about it because it wasn't a game like I talked directly with. Like, it wasn't a press game. I just stood yeah. in line and played it, right? Mm. And um, I really liked Mina the Hollower. Not to make this a Mina the Hollower cast, but um, that game was a little bit punishing in combat. And I'll also say, to go back to Astalon, this game is punishing as hell. Um, healing is really, really hard. I, I think I would say to a person just starting the game to be very careful about what you're purchasing as your upgrades. Because I think there's an easy way to progress through the game if you go the right route of purchases and there's a way to make the game much longer in terms of healing and how much currency you get. Um, yeah, but, but the game is super satisfying in combat and uh, is really rewarding. Highly recommend. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm adding it to my list. I like the look of this. Uh, but, but Murph, you have played Desperados three. Uh, yes. I, I'm, been playing Desperados 3 is maybe the more appropriate. I have finished Desperados 3. What because... is this game? Okay. Do you not know? Do you not know about the Desperados? I am looking at this. I do not know about the Desperados. I can okay. tell it is a tactics game in the Wild West. Okay, this is a stealth tactics game. Um, made by, I forget, the devs, the ones who did Blades of the Shogun ah okay i see i see now but desperados was an ip dating back to like the late 90s early 2000s sort of a progenitor of this stealth tactics like top-down crpg style and sure. then when they decided to bring it back in 2020 they gave it to these devs uh me 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 is the devs I should remember that because there's a side objective in the game to hunt down all the Mimimi devs and kill them. How this works is you have the top-down perspective and you have generally two to five characters to swap between. And they each have different 
skills and you're working your way through maps, trying not to get spotted, and generally killing any guards as you go. And it's telling the story. This is basically a prequel to those original Desperados games. Uh, saying how this gang got together and this uh, story of revenge for the uh, lead character, Dale Cooper. Um, I've been playing this on and off since 2020. I'll be I'll play like two chapters of it and then sort of set it aside for a while because it takes a while to get through some of the chapters. Um, this is the kind of game where it's difficult in a way that feels oppressive, but also... The devs are, like, having fun with you, and it feels like every time you get through a challenge, like, you sort of, like, cheesed it in some way. You 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 snuck past the devs, like, what they accounted for. Do you feel that intentional? Like, is that built into the thing of, like, the appeal? Or is this, like, a the dev, devs are fucking up sort of thing? No, no, it's definitely, like, the devs are, like, goading you to find these, like, exploits and these things. Because um, you'll, like, enter an area... And it's like, oh, we need to push this minecart full of TNT down to this uh, gate so we can get out of this mining colony we've been in. And you'll, like, push the minecart into an area, and there's, like, 12 dudes all watching the track. And, it, and you'll, you'll look at that and be like, there's no fucking way. Because you're supposed to take them out, like, one by one. And you're like, uh, you can see where a single guard's cone of vision is. And... Uh, you'll toggle between them and be like, well, I can't take him out because he's being watched by these two and those two are being watched by these three. And you're sort of like dialing it back and planning like, okay, I need to take out these two guys at the same time and then work my way from there. Cause a distraction. Um, you get like a character that has like voodoo powers and they can take control of some of the guards and have them attack each other. Uh, there's like a dude with a big fuck off bear trap that is invisible to guards. They lampshade that constantly. Like, how did no one see that bear trap? Um, the game is fun. It's so fun and funny. Like, the characters are really engaging and enjoyable. They get into some... Like, the breadth of scenarios they do for the chapters are always, like, surprising and inventive. Like, you'll get to the end of Act 1, and they do, like, a dude where's my car scenario where the characters wake up like hungover, not remembering the night before and you have to like backtrack through like the chaos they had caused through town to like recover their stuff and get out of there before like the sheriff rallies the villagers to chase them out oh that's cool um and it's just like like i said i've been playing it on and off like if you scroll past through like our discord combos i have like put desperados 3 in for my what you play in multiple times and then just never followed up on it because i was like well i didn't beat it um and then finally over winter break i beat it and it's a really good experience i would say this is like a game i would recommend to anybody not people just like fans of the genre anyone who thinks they have like the patience for this because it's so rewarding to figure out uh, how to lockpick these scenarios. And the game uh, has a very generous, like, reload and quick save mechanic. You're not, like, punished for, like, uh, quick saving too many times or, or save scumming until you figure out the perfect way to do things. And then, every time you beat a chapter, it does, like, this top-down perspective of the whole map and shows, like, your progress going throughout it, like, tracking each character's movement and how many people they took out. And that is always satisfying to 
watch because you'll go look back through some areas and be like, oh my god, yes, I I took out those five guards at the same time. Uh, there's a cool Wasn't showdown. That awesome, fuck yeah. Yeah, there's a cool showdown mechanic where you can pause time and assign orders to each character, and then like press the enter key and they'll all do stuff at the same time, and that way you can get like some cool like septuple murders, like one guy snipes from the tower, this person throws a poison bomb, this person like distracts a guard. It all goes off at the same time. That is always so cool to pull off. If you were to go back in time and tell Murph, baby Murph, just mm -hmm. starting Desperados 3, would you tell him, like, would you give him direct gameplay advice of, man, I wish I fucking knew that three years ago? Or would you give him advice of, like, stick through it and don't drop off and get back on? Like, what what would you, what, what has time changed for you with this long game session i think it would be to stick with it and just like follow it through like where i had left it off i wasn't that many chapters away from the end mm -hmm. um and then when i came back i kind of had to like relearn the mechanics relearn what each character does yeah and also sort of remind myself where i was in the plot um but it, yeah there was like no there wasn't like a difficulty spike or a wall that was a reason i had left it off it was just I would play two chapters and those would be like long marathon sessions of like figuring out how to get through them. And then I would be like, all right, I'm full right now. I'm going to play something a little less involving for my brain. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I immediately want to go in and try the dev Mimi Me's uh, other games. I have already downloaded Shadow Tactics. And I also want to play the, the pirate one they have, Cursed Crew Shadow Gambit. Oh, that sounds fun. I like pirates. Yeah, and these are these are undead pirates. Ooh, that sounds so good. That sounds so fun. Oh man. But Murph, Bro, I, what is the finals? Do you know anything about it? I do not. This is um I don't know how popular it is, but I heard some like buzz about it, so I decided to check it out. It is a free to play first person shooter, um kind of styled in the sort of team way. T the typical game would be a team of three and then you fight like four other teams to secure some sort of like loot so either you're killing people taking their money and then depositing it or you're fighting for a specific payload to then deposit but um the game has a huge like sort of momentum to it to where uh there's like three different class classes um, and they have different weapons depending on class and different classifications of that, like heavy, medium, light. One's fast, one's slow, can damage things. The, the environments are highly destructible. But And you can also revive teammates, um, so that's really nice. But when you start to win, you start to really push up. And when you, when you lose, and you can lose in an instant because someone can catch you off guard, um, the game goes fast. Um, they just now mm. recently added a single player mode, not a single player mode, but like a, without a team. And that one's much more hectic cause you're much more likely to die or like a free for all death match. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit more free for all. You still have to do the payment thing. It's not a pure death match, but, um, you don't have to rely on a team cause sometimes one of the big problems with a team game is sometimes your team is not good. Well, mm -hmm. I'm just going to say it. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, the game is really, really fun. It is a season pass type of game. And one of the reasons why I want to talk about it is because I don't 
have much experience with season pass games. I don't particularly like them because they demand a lot of my time. And Murph, we have a podcast. I don't have a lot yes. of time. Mm-hmm, you know what mm-hmm, I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I can't be like, oh, I have to spend 80 hours playing this fucking game and getting this thing to get the cool shit I just bought. Like, I spent $10 to not get the things I wanted to get. You know what I mean? That sucks. Yeah. It's bad. Like, yeah, like, like the battle pass system I've never been cool with. Like, I, I believe I've said on this pod before, like, I got into Overwatch, like, on launch Overwatch 1. Uh, pretty hard, and when I think back on all the money that I sunk into those stupid loot boxes, I'm a fucking enabler. Yeah. I, like, I think, like, God damn it, Jim. And you you know it's bad when loot boxes or direct payment were ten times better than the season pass system. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because at the very least, if I was like, man, I really want that one fucking Reinhardt skin, I could put the money down for it. Yeah. Whereas, whereas the finals or any or fucking Fortnite, dude, Shredder just came out for Fortnite. Murph, I love Shredder. You, I you are on to, record. I I would have to play the game for I don't know how long, put money down for it. It's just not worth it. It's so much of a barrier of investment. And they do it so they can keep the people who are already in hooked. And I understand that. But it is a very off-putting system from the outside. Mm-mm. So what's, like, the aesthetic of this game? Because I'm looking at its Steam description, and it says, Join the finals, the world-famous, free-to-play, combat-centered game show. So when they say world-famous, is that, like, are they being, like, meta? Or is this game, like, actually popular and I've never heard of it? The game itself, like, the story of the game is a show. It's like you're in a show. And you're, okay. you're like, competing. Does that okay, make sense? Okay, it's like Running Man? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but it's, I guess it's not for your life. It's just for fame and fortune. Um, oh, well, if that's all, then. <laughs> um, the aesthetic itself, I mean, the game kind of reminds me of the Call of Duties and the Counter-Strikes. Um, it's much more similar to a Call of Duty. Um it's i mean it's okay i don't know um i think the biggest thing that's an appeal is either the funky costumes or specifically the environments the environments have a little bit of an in-between they're not hardcore realistic they have a little bit of a mirror's edge futuristic tone to them but they're also floating and have different colors to them i don't know the Mm -hmm. art direction can be quite nice um but also at some point in time with the destructible environments a lot of it will be uh crowded out by noise does that yeah make sense? how's how's the player base because it feels like shooters are a bit on of a decline right now or like they just like a new call of duty will get announced and it doesn't feel like you know for lack of a better word the event it used to be i agree i, I think i think the only really big ones now are like the fortnites of the world but i guess that's one of the reasons why these go free to play is free to play kind of gets rid of that you know thing like to me i was like oh team fortress 2 died a bajillion years ago but technically speaking like three years ago it was more popular than i had ever played it when it was like a paid game yeah because because free means that anyone can do it um that being said i don't know the actual player base there could be bots the game never feels empty but i don't know how the bot situation is 
what is Sephoni? I know nothing about this game. Okay. This was this was like my indie game pick for the episode because I was like, man, I I really haven't done my due diligence bringing in like weird and niche indie games in in a while. So I picked this one because its description said it has a movement system inspired by Tony Hawk Pro Skater. Okay. Having played the game, I have no idea where they're coming from with that description. And okay. that carries into the main game. Um this is a this is a weird type game. This is this game's trying to be a little strange and quirky. Now you're um, gonna make me look this up. It okay. opens with a gray, one-eyed alien with an organic dress and wide childbearing hips on a train sitting opposite you, saying how they're, they're stuck on this train and they never seem to reach their destination, and as long as we're there, they're going to tell us about the first time they fell in love. Uh, cut to... Three researchers, one from Taiwan, one from Japan, and one from America, who have special implants, cybernetic implants, that give them enhanced movement, arriving on an isolated island to uh, study the strange indigenous life there. And their special implants allow them to empathically link with the animals to understand their point of view and life and therefore they can get better better research but they become trapped there and have to figure out a way out um what 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 is this game you're saying a lot of plot what is the game so it it's it's a match three puzzler (laughs) With, That's not Tony Hawk at all. Last time I checked, and they may have changed it, Murph. Tony Hawk is not a match three puzzler. So the 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 linking with the animals and the studying the wildlife—that's a match three puzzler. And to get to the animals, you have to go through platforming segments. And the platforming, like in the tutorial, they're like, "Oh, running is like imagine it like being on a skateboard." Which is just a weird way of, like, I don't know where they're getting this Tony Hawk thing from. Like, you have a wall run, you can unlock new abilities like a grapple, and a double jump, and a dash. But at no point do I think, like, yeah, this is just like Tony Hawk. I'm building up my combo. I'm rail grinding. <laughs> um, the, How the much platform- of the platforming is... What's the, what's the ratio between platforming and match three? I would say it's pretty even. Um, cause, cause you will do these platforming levels, which are, are a bit like puzzly in a way, like figuring out the way forward, how to use your stamina and your unlocked abilities to move forward, but it all culminates in a match three game. Okay. And what this truly reminded me of is a throwback to a style, uh, like a console style of game. I haven't seen anyone do, which is like a throwback to weird original DS puzzlers. I can see that. The aesthetic, the music, the presentation really reminds me of, like, weird, like, pseudo-visual novel, but also a little bit puzzle and exploration games that would be on the DS. Mm -hmm. 
maybe it's a licensed game or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like that. Definitely like that. Because I was definitely thinking of like Yu-Gi-Oh games I had played on the DS. Yeah. Um, the music is a bop. The music is like definitely something like out of the Dreamcast. It's like techno and like peppy and like going into to all these different genres in the same track. Um okay. And the story gets, like, weirdly heavy and existential. It's like a meditation on science and philosophy and how how organisms evolve is very much how we as individual humans evolve, how our, like, personalities develop as defense mechanisms based on the challenges we've encountered in life. Uh, and I just... It's a real ponderer for me. I I recommend it. If everything I'm saying sounds like up your alley, listener, then I, I think this is definitely worth checking out. Um, And don't be intimidated by any of, like, the platforming and stuff. In the options menu, like, completely free of charge, you can, like, turn on stuff like infinite run and infinite jumping. Just to, like, bypass the platforming completely if you want to get to the next story segment or puzzle game. I, I do want to talk, apparently, I don't know if this is the right way to pronounce it, but uh, Analgesic is the developer here, and notably, mm -hmm. they did the Anodyne games, and I love yes. the Anodyne games, and technically, now that I'm saying this, and link, like things are linking up in my brain, Anodyne was a little bit like this. Anodyne 2 had this sort of like uh, weird vibe to it of the running and the jumping mixed with uh, unique mini game elements to it. So that's super awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've seen people mention Anodyne before. I have the second one. I've just never played it. Uh, yeah, but... well, if you liked this, like, and if you liked Anodyne too, this would be this would be up your alley. Yeah, I, I'm going to check that out because this was an interesting experience. I think my only, like, mark against it is, like, the visual novel aspects when it's, like, starts going into like the character backstories those go on for like a while like there was one minute where i was just like 10 minutes of me reading text you know and mm -hmm. that really your investment in that really depends on your investment in the concepts it's talking about and the characters themselves yeah okay. but that's that's Siphony. Uh, i don't think it will make my end of the year list desperados definitely will but it's I'm I'm not upset that I played it, and I'm glad I played it through all the way to the end. Speaking of visual novel segments to a game, I mm. played Persona Three Reload. You mean Persona Three, Persona Five? Yes, that is that is the conversation of this this thing. Like I remember. I don't know how much to disclose this. I talked to Brendan, and Brendan had a moment like I did way back when, when I played a Pokemon game, and I sort of, like, looked myself in the mirror, and I realized that I don't like Pokemon. Like, Pokemon is the problem. Mm -hmm. And Brendan had that problem with Persona. He played this and, and saw that the persona five elements have creeped in and what he liked about persona three um you know he didn't say it went away I, i'll talk about it in a second but for him he's like maybe i don't like persona three anymore um so that has been like the main focal point even on twitter or whatever like when you go on there people who are like 
upset or like disliking persona 3 mainly come from the perspective that they are not capturing what is special about the original version and or that it's not complete because there still is not a complete version of persona 3 um and are instead just sort of making it in a persona 5 skin is this like a a blue point remake scenario where it's like they've painted over the original like moody intent of the graphics with something that looks much more like realistic like the demon souls remake or the shadow of the colossus remake um different people would answer differently is what i I would say to that The, the short answer to that is no um the short i mean it is like a full coat of repaint makeover um they definitely went in and fixed some stuff like um bad character portrayals like in the early persona games there would be some offensive uh moments um Mm -hmm. and this game seeks to fix that like they got rid of the transphobia which is the first time i've seen that in a fucking persona like it's the first time i've seen atlas and these developers uh, like want to fix transphobic elements so that's very hopeful um you know i'm trying to think of how to say it i think the game looks good it pops a little bit more but i feel like it pops in a very organic way and it's still it still deals with the dark elements of persona 3 i think when you look at a trailer for this game you see the colorful menus and you go persona 3 was a depressing game why is it looking like this but i feel like it's much more meant to be calm it's much more meant to be like a calming thing even though it's at a you know there's like beach elements and stuff like that it's not fucking it's not a rosy day when you play it mm-hmm. the original intent of the original game is still very much apparent and so it's like, like they didn't they didn't radically change the music the music is slightly worse in my opinion but there's it's much more produced and still has a lot of jazzy calm elements to it um i liked the game a lot and i think the the stuff that they've put in to fix stuff they could have gone even more to be honest i wish they went in deeper but like the way it is now i like it a lot okay so having never played a persona game but being surrounded by people that do it would i be off basing like the gist persona 5 is more like it's jazzy it's peppy and persona 3 is more lo-fi beats to contemplate your life to yes okay okay yes and then and then persona 4 would be a mix between the two but much more small town i mean the colors really dictate like vibe so red black and white for five like it'd be the blues and the grays and like accents of yellow for persona 3 they got rid of those accents a lot for the remake and then persona 4 had like all yellow it's like yellows and amber tones okay Um, is are persona games like final fantasy games where they like completely change up like the combat system between games no okay so the original persona 3 like encounter design and combat is retained here yes but there's been a lot of differences so I guess the thing is, and I guess this is the thing I want to say on recording and on, like, this is this was my bro take, and this, was, this has happened ever since the announcement of Persona 3 Remake, is if, if you think that there's a Persona 5-ification, in my opinion, the sequels and everything that they've made have been organic developments of design sensibilities for a Persona game. So if you're like, oh, this feels like Persona 5, 
it's like yes because it's a persona game in 2024 not because persona 5 is just so fucking big i think people get those two confused but i get the feeling if persona 5 didn't exist this game would actually be exactly the way it is as long as the trajectory was the same does that make sense yes i follow that i follow that analogy completely yeah. okay so so like another another example of like why it would be different but like it's all small things like like to someone that like cares they're big things but it's all small stuff like for instance in the original persona 3 you could not control your party members and that like in the original design sensibilities that was because the theme of the game was uh having a relationship to your npc characters building on those relationships and recognizing they're their own people after the initial release of that game they were like oh wait no people don't like that so then they mm -hmm. added it to the later editions of persona 3 like persona 3 portable on the playstation on the psp you can play your party characters so and like obviously four and five you can control your party characters you can do that here and yeah. um and, an and then another example is the baton pass of persona 5 so like after you do a critical hit there's multiple things you can do and with the critical hit in Persona 5, they added something called a baton pass, which means you could give another you could give another party member um, a, a turn basically, but it's still on your turn. So if I pass it to uh, you know Junpei, Junpei can take basically do a turn within my turn and then go back to him for his normal turn. So you can get a lot of like combat in, and um, they got rid of they got rid of the damage buff to that but they maintained the momentum of the baton pass for this uh remake so it's all tiny stuff that's like oh it's all additive and mm -hmm. i don't think it's necessarily a thing that detracts from the original game yeah because if it's like because i'm thinking of something like yakuza kiwami um and my my issue with that game was is that it largely ignored a lot of the advancements in Yakuza technology we had seen from the previous released game, which was Yakuza 0, and instead making the game much more like the original, which, going back to, I found really clunky and cumbersome, and the entire time I was like, why would they do it this way? Why wouldn't they just use the quality of life improvements they did in Yakuza 0? Yeah, and I guess to, like, bring it all into a bow... To go back to Brendan, there are some people that would look at, like, the trajectory and realize maybe Persona's just not for me anymore. And I think mm -hmm. that's the that's a fair conclusion, you know? Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this, as, as a Persona fan. Sure. Why does the Persona series start at 3? Because it's a completely different game. Okay, Personas, Persona, Personas 1 and 2 are like very, very clearly Shin Megami Tensei spinoffs. And technically Persona 3 onward are also, but for instance, they dropped the Shin Megami Tensei subtitle. I mm -hmm, think 3 yeah. might have kept it. 3 might have in the initial release. But now that now that it's not technically an SMT, the only SMT link now in like a Persona 5 is that the monsters are the same. Like the demons and the personas are the same. They just call them personas instead of demons. Um, okay, okay. Other, and and like Persona 1 and 2 were much more focused on the dungeon crawling and a much more engaged story with complexity. Um three four and five do have does do have good stories 
but they have a lot more of uh, social life elements. So you're, it's almost like a dating sim, but it's like a life sim. You're going to school, you're doing your homework, you're talking to friends, and all those things feed into your combat in the other life. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, I follow that. Okay. Yeah. But that's not the only big release, because this has been a pretty, like, the last two weeks have been packed with big releases mm-hmm. that you have been playing. Uh, tell me about the the King of Iron Fist Tournament 8. Tekken, Tekken 8. 8. Um, this is a 3D fighter. It looks gorgeous. This is my first... I have played Tekkens, and I like Tekkens, but this is the first time I've played a Tekken with the intent of, like, I'm going to fucking play it, Um, Mm. which is always a different, like, there's a different mindset when you go into a fighting game sometimes. Like, when I play Mortal Kombat, I kind of turn my brain off. I'll play ranked, but I'm not intending to lap, for instance. You're not thinking about frame data. I'm not thinking about frame data. I'm not thinking about this or that. I just want to fucking go in mindlessly. Tekken 8, I'm like... What's going on here? How does the game work? How does how does my opponent work? You know, um, and in that, I think Tekken Eight is a very satisfying game. I I really appreciate the complexity of Tekken now. I think for a lot of people, the the complexity of Tekken allows a new person to sort of compete because just mashing buttons sometimes leads to unpredictability and can allow them to have fun, and that totally works. But when you actually like dig deep into like, oh, how does the game work with its different inputs and how the inputs work and how different character matchups work, it's a very intriguing game, especially within a 3D space. I was I was very impressed. And I thought, for instance, like my initial gut was to play King because King is a grappler and I play mm-hmm. grapplers a lot. And he has like 50 fucking throws. And I'm like, oh my god, I love throws. And you can link the throws into each other. That sounds so much fun. Um, But I found myself liking um, different characters more. I found myself liking Claudio more. Because I I get the feeling that these other characters utilize other aspects of the systems that I find more intriguing. So I think the game is remarkable. And also, I will say, as of now, this probably has the best fighting game story. And it has the best fighting game tutorials ever so, or of the the current batch um i think of the current i mean like of the current batch competes with the best ever um personally i think there's a lot of elements of tekken 8 that is the best of the best for instance you can find ghosts of yourself or when you replay a match you can stop at a specific moment and lab the moment like oh that dude punished me with an uppercut what could i have done differently and you can literally stop it at that fucking point and then the game will tell you you could do this and you could play that specific moment out in game and and experience it so it's like a bunch of shit like that where it's very fascinating Mm-mm. How is the mental stack in Tekken 8? Because that I, is, for me, that is the thing that holds me up from, like, or held me up forever for getting into, like, ranked matches with fighters until I broke through with Street Fighter 6. Because I, I will always pick up a Tekken. I played Tekken 5 on the PS2 back in the day, got it on sale at Game Crazy, brought it home, went through every character's arcade mode. I 100% completed that game. So I have an affinity for Tekken. Um, but for me, it's always, it's on like, 
my brain places it on like smash bros level of like oh this is this is a game to like just play with with pals and we just mash buttons at each other yeah um i would say perhaps for me the mental stack is actually easier than six street fighter six has a crazy mental stack Mm-hmm. Um, specifically with meter management, like drive rush, the the whole drive gauge is a very delicate system that like can completely fuck you up. And there's not, they have like a heat meter in this that buffs all your moves. Um, but I find myself not thinking about it nearly as much. And like the super move is not like a super bar. It is instead something you get at like 30% health. Um, but otherwise, mm. in the actual 3D space, I mean, it's more complex. It takes some getting used to. But on the other hand, like, I guess you're different because you're modern. But I come from six buttons. So Tekken shortened it. Tekken only has four buttons. And the buttons actually correspond pretty clearly to the move's uh, limbs. So to explain something to viewers here, um, like the it's one two three and four one is your left arm i'm pretty sure or it's the right arm i'm pretty sure it's the left arm and then two is your right arm uh three is your left leg and then uh four is your right leg and so if you're doing like say a move where you kick out both your you kick out your left leg first whatever the move is anyone could probably guess it's probably a number three does that make sense yes yes absolutely so, like, I, I mean, mental stack, I mean, there is definitely a moment of, like, oh, you're just mashing buttons. And it can be frustrating at points because I still don't know what I'm doing. But the more I learn, the more it falls into place. To me, the barrier to Tekken has always been much more about the knowledge check because they yeah. do huge rosters in these releases. And every character has, like, a hundred different things they can do. You watch, like, pro... You watch, like, an Evo match of Street Fighter Six. And the commentators say, like know what the characters are doing. It's like, oh, that's the standing fierce. Oh, that's the medium Hadouken. I've watched Evo matches and, and pro cups of Tekken, uh, Tekken 7, Tekken Tag 2, what have you, where the commentators are like, I didn't know the character could do that. I've never seen that king throw before, <laughs> you know? I mean, they have, like, a bajillion moves, especially King. King has, like, a lot of fucking throws. Um, the, the game is complex like that, and it's kind of shocking. Um, but I think if the barrier is just learning and is not an execution thing, I don't think it's that much of a problem. Like, the more you play, the more you learn. I think that's natural, you know? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm definitely going to pick up Tekken 8 down the line. I'm going to wait for a sale. I'm, I'm still pretty invested in street fighter six uh, uh since our our last recording i switched over from lily and took marisa into ranked and got her up to gold much faster than it took for me to get lily to gold <laughs> why do you think that is you want to lay it out for the listeners uh d- d- lily is a bad character <laughs> yeah yeah that's um it. the thing about marisa is Number one, much like Lily, she feels like she is made for modern controls. Um, She doesn't have that complex game plan. It's mainly just, like, really wait for for an opponent to show their ass and then delete their health bar. Because everything kind of links into everything else with her moves. Be it any of her normals or any of her specials. Like, you can do some crazy corner carries and punish with Marisa. And that's where I'm really starting to, like, really learn 
combos and like okay this consume this combo consumes this much meter but it's actually more optimal to do this combo which consumes less meter uh for slightly less damage and therefore you're not getting into burnout and uh sort of learning the game that way um when when i when i i, I started street fighter 6 playing guile a bit because i wanted i thought playing a very defensive character like him would help me learn like frame data and patience and just sort of how street fighter 6 works and then yeah. then switching from guile to lily it felt like training weights had been taken off and it's like oh i can just do things now and then switching from lily to marisa it's like oh now i can really do things you know yeah yeah things now damage and you don't have to and like one of the things about lily is she has like two she basically has to give up pressure to get little stocks to be able mm -hmm. to continue pressure and then at that point her mix-ups and whatever like you're trying to poke in for a grab or whatever and at a certain point in time people can see your game plan and yeah. that becomes really difficult and frustrating for a limited character but marissa she's also limited but at the very least when she's able to function and she can punish uh the fucking health bar goes down yeah it's yeah not, absolutely <laughs> um I'm, I'm still gonna play lily because i like inflicting mental damage with my little gremlin um but i i think marisa is more and more moving to be my main Although, I don't know, that that Ed trailer, uh, he's definitely got some sauce. Ed looks good. Ed looks like the best DLC character so far, in my opinion. Yeah, and though they did change how his inputs worked from Street Fighter V, I hear. Uh, yeah, they gave him normal motion inputs, but I guess that makes sense with Modern. Modern pretty much replaced that, you know. Yeah. Uh, bro, let me ask you this. Is, mm -hmm. Isn't it funny that they changed how Ed's controls work from street fighter five like like that's funny right because it would be it would be like hilarious it would be fucking hilarious if like back in november even i had secretly bought street fighter five and then put 20 hours into it learning how to play ed on on his six button controls with the idea that i would then unveil that when he came to street fighter six and then they changed how his controls work. And they also changed all of his moveset. They changed, like, like all of his moves. Like, that, that's that's still, funny, right? That's funny. <laughs> that I'm has to be funny. Yeah, 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 I'm laughing. That's good. That's a good <laughs> one. That is good. Uh, they changed a lot about him. He doesn't kick anymore. He doesn't. He doesn't kick. He doesn't have the psycho splash. Oh, uh, God. What what a what, I I look forward to seeing Murph's Ed anyways. I I have the feeling that you'll still do better, just because you know what I mean. Like you'll be fine. Mm hmm mm hmm. Maybe maybe I'll put out my cover of his of his training theme because I have. His theme is so good, Murph. His theme is so good. Watch me break out on my cage. No no no, filled with rage. <laughs> Uh, but until then, we will be playing Steam Next Fest demos. Murph, what have we played? Well, this is what well, you didn't introduce. This is the Variety Minute, technically.
new season, we're trying out some new stuff. And one of the things is like, hey, maybe the variety minute can actually be varietical. And so we... <laughs> That's what I call variety, volume <laughs> one. And so, yeah, we, we Steam Next Fest is going on. And we decided we'd pick out some demos and bring bring a sampling to the listeners here. I'm I'm gonna talk about uh oh I didn't put it on my list. I'm gonna talk about Lysfanga first because that's the best demo I played. Okay. Uh, Lysfanga's okay. Time Shift Warrior. I can't remember which e not E3 showing this was revealed at. This is basically like a um sort it's a top down action game kind of like kind of like Hades. Um, I don't think it has any roguelike elements. Sure. Or at least if it does, they aren't present in the demo. Um, and what this is, is you are a warrior, a lady warrior, a lovely lady who can, uh, rewind time and create a copy of herself doing what she has just done. I'm explaining this poorly. It's like Blinks the Time Sweeper. So you'll go into an arena (laughs) and there will be dudes placed about and they don't, they don't move about much. They'll attack you if you get close. Um, but mostly it's a puzzle element because you don't have enough, there's a timer that starts and you don't have enough time to take out all the dudes. So when the timer winds down, uh, you'll reset to the start of the battle, except you've made this clone that will go off doing what you just did in that last round. So now you're thinking, ah, if my clone is taking out the right lane of enemies, then I can go clear the left. And that's like the first like tutorial battle. And then they start introducing a lot of different elements that really get your brain working, really massages your the puzzle-solving part of your brain, because it's like, okay, here are enemies that are linked, and they'll revive each other when defeated. So you need to create clones that take them out at the same time. Here's um, a glass doorway that will shatter once you've destroyed, like, its power source. So you need to send off a clone to do that so you can have, like, your current... Uh, self go through that doorway and kill the enemy on the other side of that and you only have so many clones you can use um and towards the end of the demo i had like six going at a time and these battles got like crazy elaborate as i was piecing together like the optimal way to do things and it the demo also has like a time trial mode um and that was really satisfying to complete mm-hmm. it's something where it's one of those gameplay ideas where my immediate question is like how do the devs like build upon this or is it just like the same idea repeated for like a hundred challenges just within this demo they show that they have a lot of ideas and how to work with this and straight up in the demo text they're like the final game will be around 14 hours long which is cool um i like that honesty yeah so i will definitely check this out because it's it's definitely got not necessarily something I haven't seen before, but a mechanic I haven't seen done this well before with the idea of like rewinding time and sort of like playing back what you've done. Tell me about Nevergrave. There we go. Nevergrave. Nevergrave is a Metroidvania. Um, I tend to like those. Um, this, it, it, it opens with Hollow Knight-esque environments where it's like very it's got the dark blues it's a little bit you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and it's got like a drawn element to it but you play as a hat 
and I didn't get to I didn't get far enough to like see if you can possess other things. I fought enemies, but I couldn't possess those enemies. Um, but I possessed a girl who has like a sword, so I figure like it's mostly that. And um, it's it's it, what's interesting about it is, is there's like a there's like a village building element to it. So when you die, you go to like a church, and then you go into a village, and the village is much more like you know peaceful or whatever, and you build. Now, what I also don't know is if it is merely to serve uh, the function of upgrades, because that's what the demo primarily reflected, or if there's actual city building uh, feedback from it. That's what I'd really like to see. Um, but the game itself was really satisfying in terms of play. Um, it felt really good, and that's really what mattered. Um, I don't know how much the game would be, but I would recommend at least trying the demo out. Okay. Yeah, this is definitely... When I go into the Sneem Next Fest, like, page, and it's, like, the most popular demos, this is at the top consistently. Like, right alongside, like, Paradox's Millennium and things like that. Um, though yeah. I didn't know that it was Hollow Knight by way of Mario Odyssey. So you get the vibe that you're, like, moving from thing you can possess to thing you can possess to like get different movie sets the the game didn't really reflect that when i played it but you literally play as a hat mm -hmm. like you are a hat first and then you do the cappy thing of possessing so that may come into more promise later on mm -hmm. um uh, i also would compare it to dead cells particularly with its uh level design um it's semi-random and has like a, like even in structure when i played it i'm like oh this plays a lot like dead cells um so that's interesting mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh sort of in the vein of uh lice fanga which i played i played children of the sun Ooh, i played this as well yeah this is from devolver my first immediate thought was like, oh, Devolver's trying to get a new Hotline Miami. Because this definitely get like, the aesthetic of this gives off Hotline Miami vibes of, like, an edgy, sort of trippy experience and then very minimalist storytelling with of a very brutal nature. Uh -huh. From what I can gather, you are a little psychic androgynous child who's father has been killed by a cult and you've taken it upon yourself to kill off every member of the cult and you can do this because you have a sniper rifle with one bullet that you can use your psychic powers to redirect where the bullet goes midstream so you'll shoot a guy uh you'll you'll take time to line up your shot you'll shoot a guy and then once you've killed him everything will slow down and you can choose where the bullet goes from there and you're trying to pick a path that hits every enemy in one like quote unquote one shot um how did you feel about the actual gameplay like for me when you compare it to hotline miami i definitely agree with it in terms of like the framing but the game is a little bit slower than that because there's like a little bit of a puzzle element of mm -hmm. shaping the bullet and that's why that's why i said it like like lice fanga where it's mm -hmm. much more about that puzzle element it's about that planning and plotting Unlike the Lysfanga demo, though, I didn't feel like they displayed enough ideas to make me believe that this could sustain, like, a full game. Um, I agree. I, there were things that, like, I was like, I wish there was a time limit on 
my bullet, like sitting there and doing the bullet. Mm-hmm. Like once you kill somebody, you can kind of just stay there for, I don't know if forever, but close to fucking forever. Yeah. And like you could also later on change the trajectory of the bullet, which does lead to some cool avenues. But I feel like that's sort of removing a limitation and something that is meant to make you think and like, oh, you can just move the bullet, kind of. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? They introduce stuff like that puts me off. You can redirect like the angle of the bullet mid-flight, or by killing enemies in certain weak points, you unlock an ability to freeze the bullet mid-flight, regardless of hitting anything, and pick a new angle to attack. So you can just like shoot someone, and then like shoot off to his right where there isn't anything, freeze time turn the bullet, like, around 360 and shoot a guy on the roof of the building he was in. Um, and that's, like, nifty, but like I said, by the end of the demo, it's like, okay, I've seen all I need to do. This, I, I just don't see this getting much more elaborate. The most interesting thing that happened to me during the demo is I felt like I was stuck and couldn't figure out, like, how to hit the last guy on this map. And then I, like, looked up and saw, like, a goose flying overhead. I was like, can I yep. hit the goose? And it turns out you can. And I shot up, hit the goose, and then I had a top-down view of the map, and I could sight the last guy and kill him. And that was interesting. But it's not, like, that's not, like, the wow back-of-the-box detail, right? You know what I'd like more of was, uh, you know how you could shoot the gas tanks? Mm-hmm for the cars i wish there was a little bit more of like a rube goldberg thing to it Mm. where you could like specifically look at environments and see for more creative environment kills yeah because at at the end of each challenge it does like break down like oh environmental kills number of quote-unquote shots you had to take like number of like connecting shots and the time you spent in the level and then it will give you a score um it just yeah, like you said, there's not a Rube Goldberg element. When I think of something similar to this, I think of, like, the Hitman trilogy, and they have, like, a sniper mode where you could set up these Rube Goldberg scenarios from a sniper rifle. Yes. But that's obviously a very different, like, what this is trying to be. This is, like, pool. This is, like, dominoes. It's, like, how do I how do I get from point A to point B in the, the mm-hmm. shortest number of connections? True, true, true. Well, uh, I played Berserk Boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this game is interesting. I saw the trailer for it weeks ago, and I was like, oh, this game looks good. I like games like this. It's like an action platformer. It looks like a Mega Man. I love Saturday morning Mega Man shit. And uh, it reminds me of Gravity Circuit. Um, specifically in the Melee, it's a, it, you, you, it's a Melee game. Um, so it's not necessarily jump and shoot, but it also has uh, different transformations. That's like the key thing here. And the demo really only explored one transformation. It did have a second one at the end that you could play with. But like in terms of level design, it was encouraging and built for one transformation, which was this sort of like air kick thing that like made you dash it was like an air dash that allowed you to link into other characters into enemies and stuff um and it also feels like the game was i don't know if this is like just me playing the demo and being like wow but it feels like the game was meant specifically for that because i didn't get a lot of good vibes from the second um power and i didn't get a lot of good vibes from the base kit Mm -hmm. so like the berserk boys basic jump i almost hate it 
I like I hate how he moves in that way. It feels like I'm like the only time I'm having fun is if I'm actively using suit like suit one's power, and that's cool. Um, and it is really good. I would I would recommend playing it. But I definitely wish that when it goes further in that they go for more depth and make the basic things feel good mm-hmm. so does this feel like like switching between the suits is this like a hot swap thing or is it like stop assess the situation put on the suit you need sort of thing like how, what's the flow um well when you play the demo again there's a there's technically you have your base kit which you can't attack in but you can jump hmm. and then you can turn into the uh dash and the I would say 99% of the demo is that. So you're not jumping around, but you can't hot swap. And then at the end of the demo, they're like, congrats, you beat the demo. Here's an extra one. And that one is like a Tasmanian devil, uh, like tornado that you can quickly uh, horizontally move. So that's really good for hitting things and moving left to right. But the game is a tad vertical. So um, it definitely lacks in that. And I understand that suits are meant to have the different elements to them but again it feels like the game as of the demo which i can't fault them for is built for one suit and one suit only yeah and i definitely want the other things to pop because you're saying like this third suit it has real good horizontal movement but you're saying suit one has a dash move that most of the demos built around so it sounds like horizontal movement was taken care of yeah i mean like you're mainly going to be using the air dash to go up down diagonal in the air okay okay and like like the actual game will be like you're jumping you're gonna air dash into an enemy and then maybe air dash into another enemy and then there's a move that sort of like allows you to hit everyone that's been tagged by the move in the air at once so it's like xx and then like oh they're both tagged i could press b and then they blow up does that make sense okay yeah that's really satisfying that is super fun but again, it feels like whenever I'm not doing that specific thing, I'm not having fun. Okay, okay. There's just a bit too much downtime. The too too low time to kill. That or like I guess there's not variety or like the variety that's there hasn't been worked enough is I guess the way to say it. We'll see what happens. I'm definitely going to play this game again when there's more content to it. So. Okay. Uh speaking of something that has not that much content, but you want to see it be good. I played Tiny Tero- Terry's Turbo Trip. Tell me about Triple T. A quadruple T. Quadruple T. Wow. Uh, you know, well, you know, like, uh, you've asked- Guy Fieri would blush. Yes. <laughs> um, so this is, I'm going to call this a Simpsons hit and run alike. Uh, that sounds amazing, but also, is that not Grand Theft Auto? No, no, because we're doing it more cartoony here and more about okay. the sense of being in a cartoon lo- location. Okay. So you play, it, it, it has this wobbly kind of art style uh, where you play a little guy in shorts named Terry, and he wants okay. to get a job with a car. So he can take that car to space. That is his turbo trip. Uh, and you, you get a job at a taxi company. That doesn't come into play for the demo. I don't think it will come into play in the main game. Terry just wants a car. And then once you have that car, you explore his town. 
of, I think it's called like Schmeckleville or Schmeckelwater or something like that. I've been Schmeckeldorf. Yeah. Yeah. Um, collecting parts to upgrade the car to make it faster so you can eventually launch yourself into space. And the demo ended after you got a certain number of scrap. But otherwise, you could explore a lot of locations. Uh, some of the building interiors were closed off for demo. And this, this demo is fun because it, like, acknowledges it's a demo in the dialogue. Like, like a character will say, like, oh, Terry, I, ca I can't let you in. It looks like you've been diagnosed with demo mode-itis. <laughs> you know? Oh, my gosh. And things like that. I like that humor, though. That's that's cute. The game has, like, a very cartoony sense of humor, but in, like, a very dry sort of way. Whereas, like, you'll, you'll enter an area and you'll find the mayor talking. And Terry will have a conversation with the mayor. Um, for <laughs> Terry will just have equipped in the conversation whatever you, like, left him with. And for me at the time, it was a lead pipe. So Terry's just, like, standing there looking up at the mayor with this lead pipe in his hands. And that was already funny. But then after talking to the mayor, the mayor's like, well, Terry, I must go now. And his pants inflate, and he just drifts away like a balloon. Oh, my God. And that just... That sounds fun. That, that just made me laugh. Um, that's, so, that's so fun. Yeah, and, like, you know, this is, like, a true open world to me. Like, when I think of open world, I think of a sandbox. Um, yeah. And this had that sandbox feel where it's like, okay, nothing, you know, setting aside the fact it's a demo, um, nothing's really cut off from you. You can go to anywhere in the town, anywhere in the outskirts and just explore around, look for treasure, talk to people, get like side quests. And you're just, because you're all just building towards the goal of getting enough resources to launch into space. Now, I don't know sure. if the full game is going to have other locations. Uh, the trailer seems to just be set within the town. And that's where I'm a little shaky being like, I hope either it has other locations that the dev is keeping secret, other like towns and to explore, or he like the demos just really short on how much contents they're going to be. Because I do like the throwback of like exploring a, like a PS2 open world and just kind of messing around with the locals, hitting things. But after a while, it felt like I was want for things to, like, mess around with, if that makes sense. Like, I compare it to Simpsons Hit and Run, but it doesn't have, like, the police system. Like, oh, you've caused too much havoc, here come the police. You know, there's not really danger. If you get, like, hit by something, you just lose money. But otherwise, you're immortal. And so it's really being carried by its aesthetic. This is another game where I think it has a very banger soundtrack. Um... And the, the, the comedy and the sense of humor are also very strong. But I'm worried the gameplay will get stale after a while. And I may just, like, get bored with it and not see Terry into space, as is his want. Um, do we know how much the normal game is going to be? I don't know. Hmm. We, we shall see. We will be looking at its career with great interest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but... But until then, um, what game did I have listed? Mad Mullet Jack. I got to talk about Mad Mullet Jack, y'all. This game is something. I feel like I had my hopes up for it. I feel like it lures you in with its aesthetic. It's, it's not only the cliche vaporwave 80s thing, 
but it's much more like it's a little bit like Hotline Miami where it's all like it's fast and there's like a little bit of a streamer element to it where it's like uh dopamine 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 like those fucking NPC TikTok videos uh-huh. where they give where someone some loser donates ten dollars and they're like yeah 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 would, would you say that you you have to get in a groove of sorts I would other people would say no <laughs> this time I'll defend you Murph that is a good genre name uh-huh. however uh-huh. I have problems with this game. I don't think this game is very groovy. I feel like there isn't a rhythm. I feel like the game is that it's the game functions best when I am mashing the fucking buttons and moving forward. And if I'm doing anything that tries to have a semblance of actual rhythm, I am <coughs> wasting time. And there's too much on screen and the the routes are too short for me to not just move forward. So when I do it, I'm like, okay, the thing's done. You know, there's a better game for the groove getter sense of it's, you know, the uh, the different floors. You got to get through the different floors under 10 seconds. If you kill if you kill a bad guy, you get an extra second. Um, so Void, I think it's Void, not, it's not Void Stranger. What is it? Post Void. Post Void came out like two or three years ago or however long ago and it has this structure however there's way less going on and because there's way less going on you feel the pressure like for instance i never look at the fucking timer playing mad mullet jack who gives a fuck as long as i'm killing something and moving forward i don't have to think about it whereas in post void there's a lot of empty space to where i am like running 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 i'm Mm -hmm. like i need to kill that thing right the fuck now You're not feeling that sense that you have to optimize the run. Yes, I have to optimize. I have to fucking think about it. I have to get into a rhythm, and I will come out after the route feeling much better about the game. I don't feel accomplished after I beat a level here. Um, That's my personal opinion. Do you think that's like the demo is just like the early levels, and those are too easy, and perhaps like the full game will have much more demanding levels i am sure the game will be more challenging as it goes on but i think my core complaint is how busy it is and how much it wants to not it wants to remove you from what's there and part of that may be thematic because the game is meant to be sensory overload and it is meant to be dopamine overload there's like a fucking you know twitch stream vtuber talking to you and shit like the game is like very distracting and obnoxious in a very intentional way that i can't blame it for aesthetically however they need to dial back on the gameplay because i think it comes at a cost with the gameplay personally hmm, hmm. you know i've i've got a game like that on my list i played demon spore okay tell me about demon spore um this, I, I knew about this because it, it, the trailer got passed around on Twitter quite a bit. Um, this is sort of like you are a scientist in a facility where they are working on, like, cell replication. Like, like self-repeating cells, like regenerative medicine on sure. cows. And that goes south when the cells start, like, turning into this horrible Cronenberg flesh monster. And you are trying to make it out of the facility as the flesh monster is actively growing and taking over rooms of the facility. Huh. And so this has, this has a top-down view, directly top-down, like you are overhead the room. 
and it is a roguelike where each run the the path to escape is changed and you're sort of laid out the rooms are laid out on a grid and you can see like oh this room you can go up or down or you can go forward or you can go forward and up what have you and you can see the rooms where the main flesh mass is growing you can see rooms where there are weapons or uh personal like gadgets to pick up and you're just trying to optimize a path forward now my issue with this game foremost the camera is like pulled way too far back and it has like this crt filter over everything so everything's a little fuzzy and it's just the the item readability is super low in this i feel Okay. Maybe because it's a roguelike, you'll go do enough runs that you'll just recognize things on site. But honestly, it was giving me kind of a headache to figure out. Yeah. Um, and also, everything is one-hit kills. Like, enemies will take multiple hits to kill. But if you, like, touch, like, a, a little shoe-sized blob, that's it for you. You're out. And you have to start the run over. I think this would be much more playable on like a three hit system because i was dying pretty quick very early on and as far as i can tell it doesn't do like the hades thing of between runs you can like get buffs that stay with you for the rest of the game it very much like seems like one of those roguelikes where you are at the mercy of the rng i dislike that yeah I understand what you mean uh do you feel like cr i feel like crt filters are making a comeback I feel like they're getting popular. There is a game that I have not yet talked about that I am trying to like play all of, which is, what is it? What is that name? Um, uh, Crystal Story Dawn of Dusk. And that game also has a CRT filter is like built into the game. It's part of its intentional aesthetic. And um, I think it works there, but I can see the issue of like a roguelike readability because there's so much urgency like the game i just mentioned was like sort of an rpg-esque thing where it's like very zelda puzzle elements and then like single fps turn-based stuff so the crt doesn't ever get in the way of fidelity Mm Hmm. yeah for for this i think definitely i would have like a toggle to turn it off or because i tried this on my computer and was like okay this isn't this isn't working because I'm kind of having to squint to see. So I downloaded it to my Steam Deck and tried it there, and it was even like even like worse for me to like play. I definitely got headaches playing this, and you know it's a shame because I was really into the premise when the trailer was getting passed around. I like flesh blobs, but I think as a demo, it doesn't sell me on the game because it feels like the game the demo is the full game, like. Yeah. You know, we were talking about Lysfanga and Children of the Sun, where it's like, oh, I can see how this can be elaborated on for the full game. Here, it doesn't feel like they're showing enough ideas to convince me, like, the full game is worth it when the demo just has, like, a run you can do. Yeah. Oof. Well, I mean, I guess there'd be different areas, but fundamentally that doesn't change gameplay. Yeah. So I don't know, like, maybe there's characters you unlock, or I I don't know what, but this was definitely the weakest of the demos I played. Okay. Okay, you know what is not one of the weakest demos I played? It's probably my demo of the experience, like, this is my favorite uh, so far that I've played, I will play more, Um, is Crow Country. Yes, tell me about this. I love Crow Country. 
It is so good. Second only in interest, and I will be playing it as well, is the uh, Heartworm game. Um, those are both survival horror games, but let's talk about Crow Country. It is a survival horror Resident Evil-esque experience, but what's really like unique about it is, first of all, it's an amusement park um, sort of thing, like cutesy cartoon characters and all that, but then it has like zombie monster things. I think the design is really cool. And then the basic It has those models, like Final Fantasy VII models. It does. It has the chibi... Someone said do like the Duplox or the Dublocks. <laughs> the Duplo? Yeah, I, I see that. I'm going to call it that from now on. Yeah, it's like very marshmallowy, doughy. Um, I like it. I dig it. I love how it works. I think it solves aiming as a problem, too. I think how it does aiming is really cool. I think... I think all of it is really smart. Like, ammo management is fair but tough. And, like... I, I like it. I 100% I will buy this game. Mhm mhm. Okay, just <laughs> I will buy. No, it. no other notes. Sold. I mean what 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 more do you want to know? I've heard I think this is the one people are talking about. Like I've seen this passed around like oh, Crow Country. It looks like Resident Evil but secretly it's the best Silent Hill game released in years. Well, I mean people said that about Signalis. I feel like yeah. I feel like modern survival horror is reaching the point where they're able to harness the gameplay of Resident Evil in the story and aesthetic elements of Silent Hill. Um, I definitely okay. like playing Crow Country. You get a lot of Silent Hill 3 vibes because it's an amusement park. So like there is a lot of Silent Hill elements to it. And I guess I don't want to go into it, but like, yeah, I could see that. Um, I, I definitely think the other one, Heartworm, is also very clearly Silent Hill inspired. Um, so that may also be the one. But I would I would highly recommend it because I feel like PS1 aesthetics are branching into three different avenues. I feel like one of the avenues is Mega Man Legends. You can see that with things like Frogun or Frog Gun. I don't know how to pronounce that. Um, or like Delta Gal. That's the Mega Man Legends style. Um, or it is Resident Evil or Metal Gear Solid with like the very specific semi-realistic player character models. And then Crow Country comes out. I'm like, why has no one done fucking this? This is great. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I don't remember where I said this. I think it was in one of our Resident Evil playthroughs. Um, I always prefer my horror games to have a, an art style that isn't like, realism because i much prefer i get more spooked by horror games when it's like oh this is this is a video game that is haunted that's why i love faith you know it's that abstraction that really sells the horror to me yeah well if that's the case you should you should play uh fucking signalis but either way like i totally get what you mean like the abstraction allows you because you know people always say like oh the unknown is what's scary but it's true like if you can recognize something and it's very realistic you come to terms with it very quickly um whereas whereas, like a dedicated art style is allowed to enable it to be on its own and you will always have to address the art style on its own Mm mm-hmm I played a a survival horror, a secret survival horror, because you're not, it doesn't, it doesn't occur to you that it's a survival horror unless you've lived a particular life. Oh. I played Roman Sans Rebuild. Okay, what um, is this? 
this is my second time playing this demo because I played it at PAX. And it was actually one of my favorite games from the last PAX I was at. Okay. Um, so this is this is a first person game. Um, I'm I haven't played any of these games, but I've seen them played. It kind of has a Danganronpa aesthetic. Okay. Where uh, just in the presentation, the the mixing of me uh, not really media but different art styles, going from like cartoony rubber hose to like these more detailed drawings. I'm seeing um, it. Yeah. So you wake up at a beach on an abandoned resort uh, as the sun is growing larger and threatens to consume the planet, and you go inside the resort and find four baby boomers who immediately start shouting orders at you because you are the only custodian in that whole resort and they want to get to their rooms. And you, you, you serve their needs, you get, you get one of them their pills and then get them a margarita so they can wash down those pills. And they, they tell you to look away so you can't judge them for doing that. And then you, you get the instruction to walk back to the beach. You walk there, the sun consumes the planet, and you wake up on the beach again. You're in a time loop. Oh. And so every, every day, every cycle, depending on how well you satisfied the customer's needs, you like rank up your employee level and get tools that help you fill their needs quicker so you can advance the story much faster. So the demo has, like, the big issue is the elevator's not working. And you need a toolbox. But you don't get a toolbox until you're rank 5. So you have to, like, get the lady her pills and her margarita. You have to help this guy carry the luggage uh, to the elevator. Because his back is bad. And then get him a chair to sit down in. You have to find, like, the check-in book. And then each cycle, you're memorizing where these things are so you can just do it all in, like, one go. Because each time you change areas, time advances. Mm, I see. And just, like, the the vibes are very strong. Um, it's got this kind of, like, vaporwave, washed-out aesthetic. And then when you talk to someone, they'll get, like, a little rubber hose, like, cartoon introducing them. And then, like, the actual conversation is done with these very detailed, like, sketches of their face. And then, like, panels will pop up showing, like, a close-up on their eyes and stuff like that. Like, there's one guy who's, like, he seems real friendly. He's just, like, he's just a drunk. And then he, like, starts talking about, like, how nice you smell. And if he could just, like, lick your skin a little. Oh. And... And then when you when you tell him to piss off, he starts ranting about how how girls these days are uptight and everyone's a damn consensualist. Uh, and just like that is the secret horror of it. You are trapped in the role of customer service and That's have totally to deal bad. with Karens. Yeah, you have to deal with awful old people and people that feel entitled to order you around like a slave. That's terrifying. True horror. Yeah. Much yeah. scarier than Pyramid Head. I would take Pyramid Head any day. Um, um, I will say this environment reminds me of... I feel like this is sort of like coming to be like... You know, rewind 10 years ago and that fucking one Vaporwave album came out and changed the internet or whatever. And then this fucking thing... Like, this reminds me of Paradise Killer and what was that one thing? Fucking... What's the card game first-person shooter groove getter I talked about? Whatever uh, that one was. Neon White. What? Yes. Neon White and Paradise Killer both have this sort of environment to them. 
But um, I feel like those leaned heavy into, it's funny, we cite the Danganronpa aspects, and I definitely see it with the visual novel stuff, but those games leaned much further into anime characters, like anime character designs and much more edgier stuff here. And I feel like the rubber hose 3D models and stuff work way better for this uh, aesthetic. Yeah, and just like, there's sort of like, a dreamlike feeling to everything because when like the the four baby boomers talk to you they're kind of talking around you in this and sometimes just going off on philosophy like that drunk guy i mentioned earlier he like starts talking about like oh if the sun starts burning like how close would it have to be before i can get one last drink in before it evaporates and that's like said to no one in particular um what really catches my attention is towards the end of the demo, once you get the elevator working, everything fades to black, um, and then the only piece of voice acting in the demo comes in, where this girl tells you, you have to wake up, your cow died last night, I'm very sorry about that. And you wake up on a spaceship now, where there's a dead cow in a glass box that seems to be powering your ship? And I didn't play much more of the demo beyond that, but I want to go back and find out what that's about. Hmm, very interesting. So, I'm really looking forward to this game. I'm definitely going to pick it up on release. That's exciting. I I am now interested in this as well. You've made me a believer. Um, but I'm not a believer of this next game. Um, this next game is called Eruda. Um, it is... Uh, I'm trying to think of the way to say it. It is an action platformer like the ones I've said before, but this one's not a Metroidvania or anything. The The actual appeal of this game, I would say visually it looks like... Oh, I don't... Do you remember... It looks Ma like uh, Rivals of Aether. Yeah, or do you remember like Maple Story? It reminds me of Maple yeah. Story. Um, mm -hmm, I see that. In aesthetic. And the actual appeal of the game is the roguelike elements of pathing for the actual fights, but then you go back per day and you do a shop. It's an item shop game um, where you sell bread. Mm. You, you're, you, like, you sell bread from a bakery. Um, I, I, I feel like this is a case of I love every single element of, of the genres picked. I love item shop games. I love action platformers. I love this art style. But none of it really excels. And I think a good example is to go into the item shop stuff, which I didn't know about when I originally uh, downloaded the game. But once I found out, I was like, oh, this is exciting. This feels different than Nevergrave because Nevergrave didn't really offer a lot of its system building elements. But then when I started the day, what happens is is you choose specific items to sell and you set them for a set price and then you put them out onto the shop and then you have to do a manual mini game to sell them and then once they're out of stock you got to go back and get more inventory and sell them again that's how the that's how the shop system works and to me that's not very engrossing my favorite item shop game i think there's one called moonlighter or something i didn't play that yeah but, but to me the the holy grail is this a uh, game called Reketeer? I love Reketeer, and one day, one day we will do a DDC app on it. Um, Reketeer okay. has basically you can you can design your shop 
in different themes. You can you can you can dungeon crawl for a bunch of different items, and you can sell specific items. It's not just limited to foods. It's you know weapons or armor or clothes or paintings or whatever you want. And then the big thing is is you haggle instead of having a set price you haggle and because it's like a small village or whatever the npcs you start to know the npcs and you're like oh this npc is super fucking cheap they won't fucking i'll have to sell this at a fucking cost to sell this <laughs> you know what i mean okay versus another person was like this is this one's a fucking fool so like bartering <laughs> and haggling is like a huge aspect of Reketeer. and like stuff like that is what i really appreciate about item shop games and this was not present at all it's very menial and like it feels like labor because it's like mostly a mini game um yeah it doesn't feel like like a proper reward for going out and doing the the action platforming part yes correct yeah mm mm-hmm now, okay. I'm, I mean, like, they may change that. They may add on to it. I'm sure that system gets more complex. But fundamentally, like, it it didn't seem like it was all there. And I, yeah, feel like that's, re- I feel like it's also representative of the other elements. Like, playing the combat, the combat felt slightly stiffer. Um, it's, all, it's like just every little thing. It just feels like a little bit funny. Like, it's like when you get something and it just doesn't taste the, exactly the way you want it to. Yeah. How do you feel about the art style? Because I'm looking at this, and I don't want to say generic, but it's not popping out at me. It it well, I guess that's the thing is is like I think with its warm things and like it feels it does feel like Maple Story to me. So there's an element of it that I can really enjoy. I particularly like the environments, but the character sprites and the uh, enemy sprites are just not impressive. And I feel like the game. I feel like that's another example of where I feel like the game is faltering. Does that make sense? Yeah, or yeah like, I can definitely see that. Or like, for instance, another good example is, and like I, it, it was evident when I was playing the game, and I'm seeing it now that I'm re-looking at this art style. You know the NPCs that buy your shit? They're all the same fucking character. It's all the same fucking girl. <laughs> right? Yeah, so right? even then it doesn't have that that yeah, dynamism yeah exactly that you were it's like oh i am selling to different people who have different thoughts and feelings about the item they're buying that's not a thing yeah you know mm. so it's all okay. elements like that that you know I, w- would i want to revisit this game maybe if it was on sale but not you know not full price or anything all right any other like demos you want to touch on um, I think anything else I kind of want to say for maybe we'll make a video or something. Mm. We'll see what oh, happens. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Then moving I will right say into... just so just so I can have the excuse to include it in the YouTube video. I played Monomyth and um, there's a moment in Monomyth where I got like poisoned by like the mushrooms I was eating and I started doing the climb animation and it made me ascend up to um, a lever thing. And I was just like constantly ascending. And I was like, this game is broken as fuck. And uh, I just mm. want to do that so I could have the clip in the video. So That that kind of matches my... the the I played Monomyth briefly and ran into some bugs. And that's why I didn't really put it on my list to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, it needs some uh, kinks ironed out. But uh, until then, Murph, do you finally want to talk about our game of the week? 
I think it's time. Let's let's bust in the new season. What's your name, Mister? Kenshiro. Why did you come here? I'm looking for someone. <laughs> Yuria. Who the fuck are you? Where'd you come from? There's one thing I hate. Goddamn martial artists. All right. This game of the week is Fist of the North Star Lost Paradise. In the distant future of 1990X, the world has been ravaged by a nuclear apocalypse, leaving a vast desert in its place. Armies of BDSM leather daddy criminals and psychopaths drive the wastes and dominate poor survivors. One man stands in the way between lawlessness and righteous justice. That man is Max Rokitansky. Wait, hold I on. mean, he is Kenshiro. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kenshiro is the master and successor of the art of Hakuto Shinken, a pressure point martial art. He is on a search for his beloved Yuria as he fights ghosts from his past. The video game Lost Paradise is a Yakuza clone developed by the Yakuza developers, also known as Like a Dragon, uh, by Ryu Ga Gotoku Studios. Did I pronounce that right? Sure. We're in space. No one can judge you. <laughs> this game is a brawler with a lot of mini games and uh, remixes of common uh, Fist of the North Star characters and story threads from the anime and manga to sort of make its own story to it. Um, into a nice Yakuza package where it's, you know, centered on a, a big pl town playground. But Murph, you're the Yakuza expert. What did we think about this game? This was a, a mid-Yakuza game with a Fist of the North Star skin. And the Fist of the North Star skin is the main thing that's saving it. Um, my... My main thing is that uh, I like the combat of this game much more than I do most of the Yakuza games combat, and that's because it's coming in with the bombast of Fist of the North Star. Um, sure. But I think it gets weighed down by trying to be a Yakuza game and having a Yakuza-style plot. The main thing holding me back from any sort of true critical appraisal is I am not that familiar with Fist of the North Star outside of the cultural osmosis of Omewa Shinderu and various and sundry. Like, I get it's anime Mad Max, and I get, like, Kenshiro is this, like, unstoppable badass when he chooses to be, but I think there are, sure. are, are some story elements here that I find a little head-scratching based on what little I know of Fist of the North Star. What I mainly want to know is this is your technically your first Yakuza game. And so you are finally seeing what I have been uh, have been going through, uh, all all these all these mini episodes, these yakuza minutes, and I want to know what your impression is. I I'm I'm at a weird point. I have the feeling that it's repetitive. Is it? I don't know how I could have played like ten of these. Mm-hmm. Yes, it 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 is. Um, 
I don't know how much I want to get into this now, because it's something I may say for when I'm done with, with the Yakuza playthrough. My working thesis right now is something along the lines of, like, sorry, um, there's dog loose in the street outside my house. Okay, he has an owner with him. <laughs> put, put a leash on your fucking dog, dude. Um, uh, sorry about that. Uh, my working thesis right now is, when I said I was playing through all the Assassin's Creed games... The main refrain I heard from people was like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I'm so sorry that you have to play through these, like, repetitive cash grab games that just recycle content. And then when I told those same people I was playing through Yakuza games, they were like, oh, man, get ready for one of the best experiences in video games. And my, my point isn't so much that Yakuza bad, actually, but may, maybe we need to use our words better when describing franchises as a whole because yakuza is very repetitive it's the the repetitive parts of it are fun but you know the people that complain about god of war ragnarok having the same like get in the boat animation as god of war 2018 would like melt playing a yakuza game from like one to the other there are so many reused elements and i see them here in this as well like um just like it was, it was a slow start with Fist of the North Star Lost Paradise, and that was, like, throwing me off, because I was like, oh, is this going to be, like, a linear adventure? Like, we don't really have, like, a town to explore. Because it takes, what, to, like, chapter five or something until they really, like, open things up for you, and it's like, okay, just explore around, fart around for a bit. Yeah, it's kind of shocking how long, how far you have to get to to get to the town. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then... It's like, then I was like, oh, okay, so in the town you're safe and you just do mini games, and then when you go out in the wasteland on your buggy, that's where the random encounters happen. But then... Nope, they happen But everywhere. then they happen everywhere, and they start having the random encounters in the town. It's like, okay, it's just a Yakuza game now. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, I liked it, um, and I still liked it. I, like, I got to chapter seven, and then, because I just couldn't finish it in time, I watched the story... And I don't feel like I had a problem the whole time up to it. I feel like if there was like a big grind, I would be frustrated by the grind. If I were to complete this game, I would not like completing it. I think that's a very bad thing. And I'm not that interested in the side content. And I think the side content is where your pro... Because I re also... I, did, I didn't read. I re-watched the Fist of the North Star movie. And Kenshiro's characterization still seems very like... It's very 80s shonen Japanese protagonist, mm -hmm. which is to say slightly wish fulfillment, but with a heroic uh, angle to it. He's and, stoic and um, unstoppable and does the right thing. Yes, exactly. Pretty much. And like in that, I think that all works. I feel like the I feel like I could see the most Yakuza influence with the side content like managing a nightclub and having the different women with the different guys i'm like this is where i'm like i don't think it's yeah would do that's that. that's the only time i i was like this does that straight up like care the cabaret minigame is very addictive and that is pulled straight from yakuza zero onwards like they keep introducing that um there's all yeah. the, the bartending game is also very similar to one from i think yakuza 5 um and, yeah, I think, like, the, you know, it's fine to have Kenshiro be a bartender and he's mixing drinks and he does, like, the, the mura, 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 mura. you are already drunk. Like, that's funny that's the first fun. time you do it, 
but after a while, I'm yeah. it, it, I don't know. It feels like a uh, flanderization. I don't know of Kenshiro's character because sure. Kiryu yeah. in a lot of the Yakuza playable protagonists, it makes sense that they get whack, uh, wrapped up in these wacky shenanigans because Kiryu is very noble and straightforward and unstoppable, but he's also very gullible. So he gets, like, tricked mm. into things very easily. Like, he'll see a man crying on the street and be like, what's wrong? And the guy will be like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill myself because I'm gonna get fired because the, the lead voice actor for our, our yaoi hentai game just left and we need a new guy to replace him. Say, fella, could you do that? And Kiryu thinks to himself, like, I don't know what yaoi hentai is, but I don't want this man killing himself. <laughs> I'll do it. Class. I just don't see Kenshiro um, doing that because he comes across more like a like like a Ronin, like a wandering monk. Yeah, it, it's weird. It's weird to imagine Kung Fu Mad Max doing these things. And again, I think bartending is probably like the the comfort zone where it's like I could see it. It's fine. Mm. I think being I don't want to say pimp, like bodyguard organizer for women and successful men in a nightclub, I am like, this is one step too far. I feel like that's a moral breach of Kinshiro's character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then just beyond that, it's it's kind of difficult to talk about because it just is a Yakuza game with the Fist of the North Star aesthetic. Is there... So here's what I want to know. In terms of combat, what's the fundamental differences between the combat? So, Is there any differences? So in most of the Yakuza games, you have the heat meter. Um, and that's like the little meter below your your bar. That's how... Your health bar. That's how you do like the crazy moves you see in Yakuza clips where like Kiryu smashes a guy's face into a pole or caves his a dude's face in with a bowling ball. Like, those are your heat actions. That's where, like, a lot of the bombast from Yakuza's combat comes from. Um, the issue I've always had with that in the early games is that you can only do those moves once your heat meter is full. And once your heat meter is full and it's flashing, it doesn't stay like that. Like, if you're not aggressive and pop it right away, it will, it will like, decrease just below maximum and you have to build it back up again. Or if you get hit, it will, like, go down by half. So it's a very much, like use it right then and there once you have it um and it's just like and, and while you're in heat mode your attacks do more damage but it's usually better to just like spend it right away because yakuza fights can be like oh i want to like do this big combo but then the guy just breaks out breaks out of it because the devs don't want you touch of deathing this boss you know so you just spend it right away. This doesn't have the heat mode. Instead, the big insta-kill moves are all part of, like, Kenshiro's Hokuto Shinkin. So you'll whittle a guy down, and you'll get a stun chance on him. And then you can hit him uh, with circle, and if you time it right, it's an insta-kill. If not, then he's, like, in, I forget what they call it, just, like, shock or something, shock chance. And you can... He's, like, stunned. Yeah. And you can do the And you can do, like, the cutscene move. And those are all... Those have, like, the big flashing text in the narrator saying what move you just did. Like, single mountain cutting strike. You know? And that's, like... Yeah. Early on, I was like, oh, this is great. This is so funny that every enemy you, you cause to explode. You know? Um, yeah. And the fact you don't have that heat meter, you can just, like, do the super flashy moves that end the battle quickly without having to manage a resource so much, that just meant that combat was moving so much quicker. So you don't mind those random encounters so much. I agree. 
And I also think for for the record, it got better because you also have to sort of unlock that quick, like precise kill thing where you can just automatically kill them um, and stuff like that. Like I felt like the game was getting better in combat. The more I was unlocking, the more because like if the game was only like the start, I was like, oof, this is brutal. But the game gets really satisfying in those ways. Um does Yakuza have weapons? It does. And that was surprising to me that this game didn't have weapons. Um, if you get a perfect hit on the insta-kill, the enemy will sometimes explode and drop manga font that you can pick up and hit people with. I don't know if that's one of Kinshiro's sure. powers. I haven't seen the death battle. I think it's just being funny meta, <laughs> yeah. I'm guessing. Um, you do get some counter moves in this game, where it's like if an enemy's hitting you with a flamethrower and you have the appropriate skill unlocked... You can, like, hold L1 and hit circle when he's attacking, and Kenshiro will take the flamethrower and just burn him alive. Um, but otherwise, there's not, like, weapons to pick up. You There's, like, gear you can equip to uh, buff certain stats. That's in Yakuza. But honestly, I didn't miss the lack of weapons in this. So what makes this mid? Um, I didn't care about the story one lick, you know? the story and the setting and that could be part of the um the fist of, i don't have a connection to the fist of the north star like world like when some of these characters pop up they're very clearly from like you know the manga um sure. but yeah. also i think the issue is is that yeah it's written by the same writer as the yakuza games and he's just transferring a yakuza plot onto fist of the north star and giving it like a little bit of quirkiness so it fits the setting but otherwise, it has the same problems of, like, a lot of forward momentum. Like, we need to go here and do this. Otherwise, the world's going to be destroyed. And then you go to that location. It's like, oh, you can't get in because your car needs the rock crusher upgrade. So you got to go back to town and grind resources yeah. so you can get the rock crusher upgrade. And then you crush the rocks and get to the location where the villain is. But, oh, he's not there better head back to town and find out where he is you know there's just a lot of like killing the momentum for the sake of bloat yeah yeah um i don't know i i come from the opposite angle of i have a slight affection for fist of the north star i like the charm of how simple it is um and i did enjoy elements of it and i have zero care for yakuza like mm -hmm. I like Kiryu, like all that. Like, I might play Yakuza Zero one day, hopefully to see like what people see in it. But like, in terms of the thing, like this is, I would prefer playing this because I like at the very least I could have more fun stuff to it. So in that sense, I enjoyed it. I don't know how I'd rank the game, and um, I guess I'm falling to a spot where. <sighs> Let me ask you. Um, is there, like, a driving segment or, like, the Wasteland segment in a Yakuza? Or is that exclusive to this? this that's exclusive to this. this. This Jack 3 Wasteland you can drive around in and upgrade your car and find scrap metal. That's exclusive to this. How did that do for you? Most is, like, in Yakuza 5, there's a driving... There's, like, a racing mini game you can do as Kiryu because he's a cab driver, but he gets in street races. Um... Sure. I played that a bit. The car controls feel very much the same. And you can do races in this game as well. Like, you know, like a Yakuza game, there's a lot of different, like, things you can rank up and a lot of mini games that do have 
structure and elaboration to them. It's just my issue has kind of been like, for lack of a better word, what does this get me? You know, other than I, I, I think that I think the point is to because like if it was only combat all the time, it would be repetitive for a singular game. Mm-hmm. So the idea is is for the bloat to encourage you to play the mini games, to encourage you to play the variety. I think the issue is, and let's take the car mini games as an example. Um, handling the car in this game is not particularly fun. I think this is a great metaphor here because it is very slippery. It is a very slippery car. You can go really, really fast. And it can be super satisfying if you're going in a straight line. But the moment you have to turn, it's kind of fucked. Yeah. Now, they could have done two things. The first thing they could have done was make the car feel better. Yes. And they did not do that. Mm-hmm. Instead, what they did was make a wasteland of wide open space. And even if you're in a race, the road or the racetrack is very wide and enables wide sweeping turns. So in in my head, I think that is like their answer to things. Their answer is not to solve a fundamental problem, but rather have these fundamental problems carry throughout and instead dress it up to make the problems bearable and fun enough. I, man, I've played through how many Yakuza games now, and you just summed up my core issue with them (laughs) in, like, no time. (laughs) That was a really good metaphor. I was like, wow, this is, I wrote it down. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't want it to sound like I'm getting, like, burned out on Yakuza. I'm getting a little burned out on Yakuza. But, um, it's mainly just their length, and that they have these weird, like, plot cul-de-sacs like where where it just kills the momentum constantly for the sake of nothing really and i feel like all of them would be stronger if you sat the writer down and be like don't if you if a character needs to go there and do this let them do that don't distract them and also set up an antagonist who is present throughout the entire story because this game does the exact same thing all the Yakuza games do, where it's like you think you know who the antagonist is, and then the antagonist is, isn't is them. A dude will pop up and be like, I'm the secret antagonist, and this has been part of my 20-year plan, you know? Wow. Uh. Yeah, yeah. Like... So, so you're a little Do more... Do we want to go in spoilers? Or like talk yeah, about yeah, because you're a little more versed in Fist of the North Star than I. Um, yes. At the very least, on the source material level. Um, yeah. Is there anything equivalent to the batshit plot point of the Chamber of Miracles in this game? I have never seen that, no. Okay, so... Mo- most of what I see is is like... I think the Rao stuff is pretty much where it ends. Okay. Does that make sense? Like, where Rao is like, I want to be the best. Yeah. And, you know, I do not care about this or that. And, like, the plot point of Yuria being, like, secretly, uh, you know, a part of a long line. All that stuff is canon. I think, to condense it down, it's the town and the lore of the town that is specifically original content do not steal. Yes. Like anything related to that. This was you know? the, the this plot point was the the hardest for me to wrap my head around, and it, it was where I was like, I 
I felt like I was missing something from the source material. So, Yuria, Kentro's love interest, the one he does everything for, she's in this town called Eden, specifically, like, locked away in this this secret old world facility uh, in something called the Chamber of Miracles because she was mortally injured, and the Chamber of Miracles can heal any wound. The issue is only when... When the person in the Chamber of Miracles is fully healed and wakes up, that activates the atomic payload of the Chamber of Miracles where it will launch off all the nukes in the world and destroy the planet. And that is the craziest device I have ever heard of in fiction. <laughs> Who would build that? <laughs> Who why would build that? What is the purpose? Why why would why did you build it this way? <laughs> and then and then Kenshiro, they decide to bubble it. They bubble the city. So that way, you know, like or they bubble the one thing. So that way it, it's contained. Well and then it, like Kenshiro gets saved or whatever. But even then, like, just none of it makes sense. All of it's like this doesn't pass the smell test. Well, yeah, but also, so you beat the final boss, who is a dude you've beaten, like, three times already, but whatever. Yes. Um, and then Kenshiro wakes up Yuria, and he's like, can you do me one thing? Can you stay with me till the end? And she's like, yes. And then you cut to credits as the nukes are launching. Come back after the credits? And it's like, oh, it all turned out all right. <laughs> it's a happy ending. Yeah. <laughs> Just a complete undercut of narrative significance. And this game was, was like, writing pretty... It, it was a little above mid for me, up until it did the Yakuza thing, where right at the ending, it drops 20 new plot ideas and doesn't have time to let any of them breathe or elaborate or settle in, and then boom, yeah. credits, with a cliffhanger that is immediately resolved following the post credit scene. Ay ay ay. I, yeah, yeah. I don't know what to say here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to um, come across this negative, but this is just my... We finally have a game of the week that ties into the Yakuza Minute, so this is just my time to, to wax about how I don't think Yakuza is the be-all, end-all, greatest gaming experience of all time. You know, It's, it's, it's funny that my first one was like oh this is okay and now that you're so far and you can't help but see it yes you're like this is oh my gosh yeah mm -hmm. and i i think what's also funny is is i remember those conversations and you were originally gonna play this before resident evil and everyone was disappointed you played resident evil first yes and i'm i'm sitting here going if the games are all like this but have uh, I guess a Yakuza story element to them. I'm sure the cast of characters are great. I'm sure. But that doesn't yeah. seem like enough. And I know the game goes into RPG elements later on, but like, I don't know. Resident Evil seems so, very fruitful to you. So the thing, it's the, it's the bridge of, how, how do I want to say this? I have this idea for, I know number scores are bad, but I've seen some internet reviewers bring up this idea of like, oh, there's positive scores and negative scores that reflect amount of like the ir irony level of enjoyment. So like a, a positive 10 out of 10 is like the perfect experience. You would do it over and over again. It changed you as a person. And then a negative 10 is that's 
is like on that same life changing experience, but it's like for something that's like on the quality of Tommy Wiseau's The Room, you know? Sure. And so the Resident Evil games get a much wider spread on that sort of range. Like they're, you know, Resident Evil 6 isn't great, but man, it's buck wild and funny, you know? And yeah. the the worst a Yakuza game can be is mid to boring, which means that when I don't have a lot to say about it, I really don't have a lot to say about it because it's just like, yeah, this this didn't hit. This didn't hit at all. But it does hit those 10 out of 10 levels uh, with entries like Yakuza 4 and Yakuza 0. And so you're kind of chasing that high. And when you hit those those middling valleys, they feel so much worse compared to Resident Evil, which has some 10 out of 10 games, but a lot of them are just like, yeah, that was okay. Or, wow, that was that was crazy bad, dude. Let me tell you about this, you know? None of the Resident yeah. Evil games were boring, save 5. And that's why I felt yeah. 5 was, like, the worst one. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, let me ask you with Yakuza, because I guess this is a wider... There is not a lot to talk about. I will... I, let's focus back. The other thing I liked was gambling. I liked gambling. Okay, okay. Fun. Gambling is present in all the Yakuza games. You can buy little totems to increase your I, luck. <laughs> I wasted a lot of time gambling. And I feel like that's another metaphor of, like, the time sink is just, like, you realizing, man, there's not really a lot to go for here. The moment I stopped gambling was when I realized there wasn't that much benefit for me. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah. And that's a thing. And then I guess my other question for you is when the games go to RPG, do you feel like you're going to hit a new wind? Do you feel like there's going to be a pickup or do you so, feel like you're, you know? So the game after this on the list is judgment. And that's, that's kind of like was, was the studio trying to, because they finished Kiryu's story allegedly with Yakuza 6 Song of Life. Um, don't ignore Yakuza 8 infinite wealth existing. Um, with, and Judgment was kind of being like, okay, let's do something in a Yakuza style, but do a different gameplay approach. Because ya Judgment is about a detective. You're not, you're not a, you're not a criminal. You're, you're on the side of the law. Hashtag ACAB. Um, sure. And so I'm very curious to see what that does to change things up. When it changes to RPG, um, I know Yakuza 7 and Yakuza 8 are the longest games in the series by a lot, even if you're ignoring, like, the side content. So that's a yeah. little worrying, but I am looking forward to, like, the breath of fresh air to reinvent the mechanics, like, wholly from the ground up. So, yeah. like, I'm not... I'm a little burned out on the franchise, but with this and the Black Panther games... It feels like I'm, I'm at least getting, like, different flavors now, different experimentations, whereas yeah. this, up to this point, it would be like if Resident Evil 1 through 6 were all done in the style of the first game, rather than changing things up with Resident Evil 4, and then, like, changing things up with Resident Evil 7, you know? Yeah, I understand what you mean. That sounds rough. Um, I'm trying to think of other things to say about the game in particular um how'd you feel it, about the insta fail qtes and the boss battles uh 
I thought they were fair. I never thought the QTs were that hard. I was surprised at the difficulty spikes at times. Like, like there were points where I'd be like, wow, this game is too easy. For a long portion of the time, I was like, this game is too easy. Like, mm-hmm. my brain is, like, not working at all. The game's not complex. And then I hit a boss. And I was like, oh, the boss is actually punishing me. I need to, like, stop. And I need to, like, look at what he does and then punish him. And, like, at a certain point in time, there was a little bit more complexity to it. I had never felt the QTEs were inappropriate. And, honestly, I enjoyed the QTEs because most of the time, if you did them successfully, you did a huge chunk of damage. So mm-hmm. I was always welcoming them. Yeah. Um, yeah, to the difficulty spike aspect, this is another thing with, like, the side content of Yakuza, is, like, Yakuza 5 especially, because you have, like, five characters that all have different, like, moves you can upgrade, and, like, really learn all these secret arts, all these long, elaborate combos, and, like, oh, you can break an enemy's counter and insta-kill them, etc., etc. The issue has always been is that the Yakuza game combat just isn't that difficult. Light, light, heavy, heavy will carry you through most of the game, and doing long combos on bosses doesn't work because the devs don't want you to touch of death the bosses, so they'll just partway through your combo start blocking or dodge out of the way, and then they counter you because you're stuck in an animation because you thought you could pull off a long combo. And that they'll do, like, a huge amount of damage. And you're like, oh, I wasn't ready for this. Yes. Like, I wasn't ready for that much damage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. And so you just stock up on healing items. You fill your pockets with, uh... In this game, it's, like, cans of chili. <laughs> in the yeah, Oxa games, food, it's drugs. fucking beef jerky. Yeah. yeah. It was interesting, because at the very start, like, that's where the game's most interesting to me. Because it start, it, it, It's doing something different like it it proposes like oh money isn't a thing in the wasteland so it has this sort of barter economy where you're trading things like when you're trying to get into eden you need to talk to people and like trade up to get a thing and then once you're in eden they're like yeah we have money yeah so i think this would have been stronger if it was just like dropping the yakuza aesthetic and just let it be fully a fist of the north star game by the yakuza devs but then you're left with, then you're left with a middling combat system. Yeah. Right? Or what? What impact does a Fist of the North Star game have in the current gaming space when this came out in 2019? Yeah. How is this game on runtime in contrast to others? Is this because like when I was like looking around, uh, this apparently is a shorter game. Mm, I would say it's on par. The, the pacing, you move through the chapters really quickly, and that's because secretly there are chapters that are like one hour long, and then there's chapters yeah. that are like four hours long, because you have to grind like the, the tutorial is a chapter in itself. Yeah. Out of ten chapters, so then mm-hmm. it's like, yeah. Yeah, and that would be on par with something like Yakuza 4, which I praised for its quick pacing. Um, yeah. The issue is with this, like I said, there are some chapters where it'll just like grind to a halt and be like, run around town and talk to people until you get enough information to move on, or grind resources till you unlock this car part. Um, yeah. And nothing like that quite happens in any of the Yakuza games. At most, like in Yakuza Black Panther or Yakuza Zero, you'll hit like money checkpoints where some guy will be like, I'm gonna, I'll give you information if you give me 10 million yen, you know. 
very very no more heroes mm-hmm. yes, i also think yes. i i thought of no more heroes a lot playing this and mm-hmm. i'm wondering if that's one of the reasons why you were like no more heroes secret dd cast number one of last year was because that felt like much more aware and satirical take on what yakuza does i man you just threw me for a loop maybe maybe i don't know I don't know. I wasn't thinking about it at the time. But then again, I can't think of how I would have talked about No More Heroes had I not been playing Yakuza all this all, all last year. Hmm. Lot to think about. Maybe you should be doing the Yakuza Minute. I- I'm going to take a break. You. <laughs> no, I'm good. Please. No, no. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I don't think there's anything else. Are we wrapping up? I think we're wrapping up. Let's let's talk about some some side stuff we've done. You you did a uh, especially on the YouTube because we've put some stuff up there that we haven't put up on on your local podcatcher. So some mm-hmm. some of our listeners may may not be aware of it if they don't they aren't subscribed to the Daydreamcast YouTube. There you go. You you're missing out on quality content. Um, I talked to uh, Thomas Wilde of our Fatal Frame episode, horror game extraordinaire, you know, expert, and uh, we talked about Silent Hill, uh, fuck, short message, that's it, short message, Um, and talked about how we felt about that, which, you know, was both up and down, good things and bad things, and Murph, you had much more, like, personal essay. Yeah, you, you, you talked with Thomas Wilde, I talked about the Outer Wilds. Um, oh, there you go. That's good. In December, I put up a, a video essay I put together, having uh, finished The Outer Wilds for the first time, and uh, what it spoke to me about in a uh, in a personal loss I had experienced last year. And I think it uh, is one one of the best things I've written and put together. And I think everyone should go uh, watch it. <laughs> I agree. Right now, stop this podcast. It's done. Watch that video instead. That's that's your homework, dear listener. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then after that, you can go that? subscribe to my other podcast titled This Podcast is a Bad Idea, where I and my co-host Fru look at various, like, internet topics and histories. Uh, the episode coming out after uh, this Daydreamcast episode goes out, we did a game of Etsy, The Price is Right, where we looked up where we both found various and sundry Etsy uh, items and tried to guess how much the seller is selling them for. I think it's our funniest episode so far, and there's going to be an... uh, I was editing it earlier, and I had to cut out a lot of flack because we go on so many tangents. The the main episode should be coming out to around two hours, but I'm going to be releasing an uncut version with all the tangents that's about... Three hours, 30 minutes. Oh, man. See that? See, I love I love it. The Kingdom Hearts episode, you also did it with. Where it's like, I'm going to give you the short and sweet one, and then I'm going to give you the, the long and hard one. Mm-hmm. And that's what yeah. I need, Murph. I need it long and hard. Yeah, that's the Murph switch up. You think it's short, <laughs> yeah. but then it gets long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, you want it to be short, but it's actually long. Um, do you want to talk about our next game? Well, our next game, uh, we're going to be possibly, looking, probably, we're going to be looking at a a a broken favorite, 
And we're going to be bringing in our, our good friend Brendan from The Crawl, because I believe this is also a favorite of his. And it's my first time playing it. Um, we are going to be looking at Dark Souls 2. When I saw you playing the Iron Keep earlier today, I was like, Murph will truly love the game after the Iron Keep. The Iron mm. Keep is the worst fucking level I've ever played ever. Really? <laughs> I, I hate the Iron, Iron Keep, Keep, dude. Oh, that's nice. I'm glad. You you probably don't like, you don't hate the game then. That's good. <laughs> okay, sure, yeah. Shifty uh, eyes. <laughs> we'll see. Um, all right. I think we're playing out now. Everyone have a good time. Yeah, yeah. Well, Brogan, look out, we're going into a wormhole. When are, when is the satellite happening? The satellite? Yeah, when are we building that back? I, I... From the start of the episode. I, Brogan, we're, we're drifting into a wormhole. We don't know where no! we'll wind up. <laughs> no! Okay. <laughs> Tune in next time. <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh, let me stop there. <laughs>